Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. Happy to be back again for a new episode, and I'm going to be doing this one solo. My partner, Joe Favorito, is indisposed today with a business commitment. Um, but we're going to have a good conversation because we've got a, a little group here assembled. There are three students from the Columbia Business School, all involved in sports in different ways and in kind of exciting ways with really interesting perspectives on the business. So I'm going to eat, introduce each one of them, and they're going to tell you their backgrounds briefly. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how they're involved in sports, some of the work they've done in the industry, some of the stuff they're doing on campus to mobilize people around the sports business, and maybe some of their perspectives on all the exciting things going on in the business right now. So welcome, guys. Good to have you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. So first and foremost, we've got TJ Winfrey, uh, and he, someone I actually have met uh, who's visited my yes. digital class, so we yes. can t mention that later maybe. Uh, we've got Tunde Ogun-Timane, and we've got Joaquin Beryl. So again, glad to have you guys here. Really happy to have this conversation, learn a little bit more about what you're up to. So TJ, let's start with you. Um, just a little bit about your background and what you're up to and what you're looking at in the business right now. Sure. So uh, thanks for having us, Tom um, and Joe. <laughs> uh, I'm TJ. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I uh, went to the University of Michigan for undergrad. Um, there I interned at Nike and for the Detroit Lions for a couple of years. And I came out of school and I really wanted... Some, some kind of broader business background. So I worked at um, Target's headquarters in Minneapolis and then also Nike again. Uh, so now I'm at, uh, at the business school here at Columbia. I'm a first year student. Um, I'll be at Microsoft this summer working on the Xbox team and uh, hope to in stay Seattle? In, in Seattle. Nice. In Seattle. Okay, cool. Um, and hope to stay in sports uh, long term. So. Uh, from a strategy perspective, also looking at player management and also venture capital. So a lot of interest within sports. Um, and so in the business background is kind of helping me um, uh, really shape some of those interests. Excellent. How about you, Tunde? Uh, thanks for having us. Um, like I said, my name is Tunde Ogintamayn. I am, I was born in Nigeria, grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. I attended University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, did some sports research there with uh, one of the professors there, uh, Professor Dennis Coates. Um, shortly after that, I went to Clemson University, did a master's in economics. And then I started working as a statistical analyst for a consultant firm um, in the oil and gas industry. I uh, wanted to kind of find a way to tie my skill set with my interest in sports um, from an analytics standpoint. So I decided to take the business school route um, here at Columbia Business School. I am currently interning in with the New Jersey Devils doing strategy and analytics for them and this summer I will be going to the NBA league office and working in the team boat department. Excellent, that's great. And Joaquin? Um, as my colleague said, thank you very much for having us today. So my name is Joaquin Berral, I am from Spain. I graduated as a civil engineer but joined the um, corporate world. So joined McKinsey, a consulting firm, work around Europe, South America. I wanted to have more impact. So joined a startup in Southeast Asia, which we successfully sold um, six months ago. So I decided to come to business school to have like a, um, expand my background in finance. And right now, um, same as they are, I'm interning in Glideslope, which is mm -hmm. management consultants in um, sports. And looking for BC in summer, 
focus on a sport, which is like last minute thing. So let's see how it goes. Yes. Okay, good. So all three of you are board members of the Sports Business Association here at Columbia. Just talk about that for a second. Uh, your mission, some of the things you do, some, some of the uh, activities you've arranged. Uh, so the yeah, SBA, Sports Business Association, uh, was started, I think, 10 to 12 years ago. And um, it's one of the things I wrote about uh, when I was deciding to come to, come to CBS, Columbia Business School, um, because of my interest with sports and business. And the, the mission of the club, one, has been traditionally a little bit more on the fan side and like whoever is interested in sports. Um, you know, come out, let's go watch some games. Uh, maybe we'll do some professional events. Uh, but myself, uh, Joaquin, tuned in a couple of the first years, uh, we really wanted to make it a little bit more professional focused um, this year. So I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this, the sports conference, but that was one of the events we did. We did, uh, Joaquin set up uh, several company visits uh, this year to uh, ESPN. Uh, I think we went to Barcelona. Um, and a couple other places as well. Uh, but we, we really want to make it a little bit more professional focus. So um, that's what we're doing and working on now. Great. Do you guys want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I think being in New York City, obviously we felt like we had an advantage. Um, and that's one of the things that we've tried to tap into with the, with SBA. Um, like you said, visiting companies, um, having, but also having people come to speak with us. Mm -hmm. um, so th that's something we've been able to do, and, and we're looking forward to the rest of the year with that. Yeah, and hopefully building a relationship with the sports management program. I had occasion to um, spend a little bit of time with TJ uh, in the class. Who, who was a visitor to the class. Yes. It was in the fall, right? Yes, thank, thank you for having me, Tom. Yeah. So it was a pleasure. That, that, Did you come um, to two? I came to two classes, wow. yeah, okay. via Ida Martin. Yeah, um, thank you, Ida. <laughs> thanks, Ida. So that was um, uh, the partnership with the sports management uh, just, just the graduate school sport management as a, as a whole and then also SMAC um, was one of the things I sat down with when I first came to campus. I talked to LJ, I talked to Bess, I'm a couple other people and I was just like, hey, there's no reason that uh, my interest in sports and the business school should separate me from what you guys are doing over here and vice versa. Um, so I was happy to sit in on those classes. I was happy to have uh, some SMAC board members, Clinton um, and uh, Christine. Christine, yeah. yes, and, and, and Tanya and Matt Walker, nice, um, help us out with the sports conference. So uh, we've we were enjoying the partnership. So far. Tunde and Joaquin, have you guys actually attended any of the sports management classes? Yeah, I attended a strategy class with Jyoti okay. uh, Argoal. Um, that was that was a great class. Uh, had a nice case study on Real Madrid okay. um, that day, and yeah, like TJ said, there's so many resources here in the sports management program. Because obviously it's more it's solely focused on sports. Obviously in business school we have right. different different things to focus on. So it's it's been really beneficial for us um, in terms of collaborating with with the program, with the students, um, and, and with SMAC. Yeah, Joaquin. Yeah, building on that, I was gonna say that when we came in fall, um, we all three that talked that we wanted to join some of the classes, and Columbia was not very willing to do it. But we worked it out. We said there is no sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually now taking two classes, one with Ben Alamar in Sport Analytics, okay. and the one with Ray Katz um, going on later today. Oh, okay, great. And, and it's been great. That. And also we have sports students in the MBA classes. Yes. So it makes a lot of sense, too. It does make sense. I mean, do you have, 
is is there any uh, discernible difference in the approaches you see and with your limited experience from the sports management classes and what and, and what you've had since the fall in the business school uh, in terms of how it's being how this subject's being approached or handled? Not um not really. So the class the strategy class I um I attended with GOT was like I said they did a, a case on um, Real Madrid and I, I think Barcelona, and the way the way she ran the class was pretty similar to a lot of the strategy classes we actually take in business school in terms of um, discussion and just getting everybody learning from each other and not just a uh, not just a teacher. Um, so from from that standpoint, both the strategy um, classes are pretty similar, I would say. Yeah. What I've seen is that, and I'm in Ben Alomar's class as well with Joaquin, um, a lot of the foundational knowledge that I've learned even during the first semester of business school, especially with statistics, has helped out in the sports analytics class, right? Mm -hmm. So I have that foundational knowledge, and then I'm applying it to sports specifically. So we did uh, recently, we had a, um, a paper to write on, if you were working for the Cleveland Browns, would you trade your first overall pick for Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo, or would you hold on to the pick? And so um, I took... So I or took maybe kinda, look for a new job. Or maybe look for a new job, right. <laughs> Sorry, so, Cleveland Browns. No, makes sense. So I'm a Detroit Lions fan. So. Yeah, um, I but, but it took, uh, but I was able to take some things I learned in stats and apply it to that paper, right? So um, I think that's kind of how it all fits. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Tunde. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting question because obviously there are, are individual styles of individual professors and then there's kind of, you know, program-wide approaches uh, and the way they do syllabi and things like that. But I think ultimately we're all after the same thing, which is to work together to make everybody more thoughtful and better critical thinkers about the business. So know the, knowing the facts, but more importantly, knowing the context. Uh, so hopefully that's that's working with you guys. It sounds like mm -hmm. it is based on the conversations we've had. Um, so speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about your perspectives on the business. And let's tie it back to some of the references you made to your experience experiences that you've had or that you're having this summer or that you want to have in the future. Um, what areas of the business do you think are most interesting right now? Which ones kind of intrigue you more than others these days? Because it's such a it's such a tumultuous time in the business in so many ways. So Joaquin, you want to start? Yeah, I could go um, there. So there are, I would say for me right now, there are two things that I like a lot. One is not directly tied to sports right now, which is the betting industry. So ga gambling. Gambling. Um, as you know, in Europe, it's huge. It's a huge business, which is also having a lot of trouble with ethics. There's a lot of teams that are losing on purpose to make money. So it is like a whole ethic thing going on. And the second one I like is everything going on around changing the stadiums. I do believe that the stadium needs to bring uh, something new to the table to keep um, bringing people going on. So like all this smart ticketing and stuff like that, I do look at it actively. And I will keep keep looking at that as, as the things I like the most. Going yeah, I mean, can, can you actually just expand on the, the point about European betting? Because, uh, I mean, you know now we've got several commissioners and leading authorities in the sports business talking more openly about it. People like Adam Silver and uh, David Stern, ex-commissioner, and of course Ted Leonsis, Mark Cuban. Um, it's obviously not ruined, notwithstanding the ethics issues, but it's not ruined international sports in Europe or in other territories. So what do you think needs to happen here for it to finally make it over the threshold of legality? Yeah, I, I know mean, that's not an easy answer, but... Yeah. 
Yeah. No, like the, the thing is that um, betting industry is one of the biggest sponsors in Europe. So like most of the soccer teams in England, in the Premier mm-hmm. League, have um, betting industries behind them. Um, and, and the thing is that in Spain, we don't have this, or in Europe, we don't have these fantasy leagues that you guys have here. So I believe that the fan has much more engagement in America. So the betting industry makes even more sense here, mm-hmm. like all the analytics you guys have. So um, I just think that a little bit more pressure probably from the commissioners and the teams realizing that it's a huge industry. Um, and I really don't know. I, I don't know why it's been. I guess it's because it's considered to might harm um, society or something. But I don't see, as soon as you prove, somebody can prove that people who wants to bet is actually betting. Um, so whoever wants to bet illegally is betting right now. There is no point in not opening no, that, up. No, well, that's the point that David buy. Stern has made repeatedly, which is if you look at the size of the illegal gambling market, it is massive. Uh, and that in the, um, in the event of a legalized gambling framework, there's a lot of money to be made. So that, let me ask you one last question on that point, and it's something that I'm not really sure a lot of people really understand the answer to, including myself, and that is how do... Um, let's take an example from Spain. Let's take uh, Real Madrid one of the most powerful teams and franchises in all of sports. How does an individual team, or in, or in the case of La Liga, profit from the, the legalized gambling in Spain? Yeah, so, well, thanks I mean, for other than the sponsor, the sponsorship in the stadium and the, of, of, the, of the kits and things like that. Yeah, I, well, thanks for mentioning Real Madrid. Huge okay. Real Madrid fan. Right. Right. <laughs> I figured that was a pretty um, safe bet. <laughs> Um, so besides sponsorship, what I think brings to the table, and I think Adam uh, said it too, is engagement. I feel that when you put money on the table, you follow more what's going on. You follow more teams, teams that you don't really care about. You follow more the players and create more engagement. And at the end, more engagement is more money for the teams right. and for the league. But anything in terms of direct revenue? Is there some kind of, for lack of a better word, tax? Any kind of um, license? that these international betting companies like Patty Power outside or William of, Hill need? Outside of advertising? Yeah. And, and sponsorship? Yeah, I guess I, I hadn't really thought about this until uh, I, I heard you talking mm-hmm. about any kind of... I understand the indirect benefits yeah. and, and the potential for engagement, more viewership, mm-hmm. etc. I'm suggesting that, uh, or wondering, if there's some sort of direct financial gain to be made with a... Uh, a governmental legalization of it, and somehow some kind of tacit, or maybe not tacit, but um, act, actual participation or endorsement by the league, a league, I should say. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I okay. think that it's important to one of the things to to make it legal. I think it's important to have like the um, all these betting companies away from the teams and the leagues, so mm-hmm. they don't become corrupted. So right. I think that they need to stay away. Um, but it's a good question. I don't know. Check okay. it out. All right, TJ, how about you? What, do you? what what are you thinking about these days? So I've grown uh, more and more interested in uh, investing in sports, so investing in sports, uh, the intersection of sports and technology. So um, obviously that the byproduct of that is wide. So whether it's esports, uh, some of the areas of investment, um, whether it's uh, you know investing in technology to improve on-field play, uh, whether it's um, investments in uh, and technologies to improve the fan experience, the viewing experience, AR, VR. Um, those are the areas that I, I'm growing more and more interested in. Um, and also just the, the movement 
that a lot of these teams and leagues and owners are making to invest in or to, to really fund these incubators and accelerators uh, for all of these uh, kind of startup companies and really take that new technology, um, invest in it, bring it in house um, and, and kind of be and kind of get their hands on it first. So it seems like um, an arms race almost um, over the past, I'd say, you know, 18 to 24 months. Um, and it's interesting where that's going. And even if, you know, those accelerators and incubators, are they in the right hands? You know, are, the, are sports owners the right people to be owning those? Um, or should they be, you know, owned by some other tech That's a great question. Like but you that. look at this new breed of ownership, right. uh, as illustrated by people like uh, Steve Ballmer yes. uh, from the yes. Clippers yeah. and... Um, the guys that run the Warriors, where there's an ex-Facebook so like employee a, involved, yeah. and you know uh, Shamath and stuff like that, and and there is this different mindset about how you view your franchise and how you do the business around your franchise, and it's really created this, I think, very exciting time, where in addition to actually having the opportunity to essentially test new technology for improved right. fan engagement right. and in-stadium experiences yep. and things like that. They also can look at long-term financial plays as mini-venture capitalists. Right. And they, I shouldn't call them mini because they're, they're wealthy people. <laughs> right. uh, but they can get in and make money in ways that 20, 30 years ago in sports ownership right. was just very rarely happening. Right. But now you're seeing this um, as a more common practice, and I think it will grow as more old guard ownership exits mm -hmm. pro sports right. and more especially tech oriented forward thinking leaders get into it right, right. alright well that's a good one because and you know I've got involved in the Dodgers Accelerator and I've followed okay. that really closely I've been right. mentoring that group and <clears throat> I think what they've done over the last two classes and I think there's a new one coming I guess for 2017 is interesting uh, because they've been able to essentially put these companies into an accelerator environment, in this case in LA, and then exit from, have them exit from that mm -hmm. with immediate opportunities for activation, execution, right. opportunities uh, in the marketplace if right. they're ready. Right. And I think the question with a lot of the, uh, the companies applying or around the companies applying is, are they really ready for prime time? And, and RGA is one of the more established yes. ones, right? Yeah. And even, mm -hmm. even I listened to a podcast uh, where one of the guys who worked there was talking about when they first started Oh, yeah, that was Jonathan up, Bradley who runs the venture. Yeah, right. When they, when they started ramping up, you know, they had some troubles, right? right. So a lot of these, I'm assuming a lot of these teams owners are going to go through that period um, and it's... And it's and it's like is it gonna you know are they gonna fall off the the face of the earth or you know are they gonna uh, swim so yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting to watch so Tunde how about you what are you thinking about uh, these days I'm thinking about big data and analytics um, so my background is is in that in that area um, I was doing it in the oil and gas industry so I'm thinking of it in the ter in terms of sports right uh, I think these days most people know about you know Moneyball and, and that side of things but sports is a business right and there's big data all over and there's data on the business side thinking about you know teams from a ticketing standpoint marketing sponsorship there's all big data behind that fan engagement and then not only not only looking at the data 
um, figuring out what to do with it, how to analyze it, but then the strategy of how to implement um, what you find out. So you're more interested in the in business analytics as opposed to player performance analytics. I'm interested in personally. both. I'm okay. interested in both. Um, right. Uh, I think since I've come to business school, it's shifted a little bit to to the business analytics, just um, based on some of the classes we're taking, the strategy classes, and just looking at it from that point of view. Yeah. So have you heard about Mark Cuban's recent comments about analytics? And, and how he thinks artificial intelligence oh, yeah, is going to obviate he, the need for a lot of analytics work. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's pretty, I, pretty radical stuff. Yeah, yeah and I think Are he you posted, talking about when he said they're overrated? Analytics yeah. Overrated? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And he said, he said analytics are overrated and artificial intelligence is underrated. Yes. Yeah. But he goes, he, he's on a mission from God on this topic right <laughs> yeah. now. He thinks artificial intelligence, I'm obviously paraphrasing mm -hmm. and simplifying this, but actually we'll get to a point where a lot of the anal the analysis part of analytics or the interpretive part, in other words, the important part of it, right. beyond, beyond the collection of all the yeah, yeah. data, is actually going to be done by AI. Right? Yeah, yeah. And but not by a bunch of Billy Beans and, yeah. and Tunde's. Right. <laughs> but he has a point, right, Tom, is that <laughs> analytics, you know, you get to a certain level, it kind of normalizes, right? Everybody has the, the, the little advantage that was once there for Which is one of his the points. couple of teams mm -hmm. that were doing it. Everybody's doing it now. So what's the next step? AI. So I, I, I kind of I tend to agree with him. Um, but I, I know there's, I don't think everyone has reached that standard yeah. yet, right? So It occurred to me that both in the business school and in our program, uh, I've mentioned this to some of the people recently here, that we ought to be thinking more about AI-oriented classes mm -hmm. um, just from an educational standpoint sure. because we can, we all, we're all using this big word, analytics, right. and it's still really important and will be important, mm -hmm. but artificial intelligence and, and the pace of um, uh, acceleration right now with its capabilities is kind of stunning. You guys know what what's happening in with the Watson uh, yes, with yeah. the watching group, even with some of this yeah. going on in the Masters uh, here yeah, in April. Yeah. It's really an interesting time. So have you thought about that as a last question on your situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I have. No, but it feels like you got to say one step ahead yeah. of the newest thing. <laughs> no, I, I have, and I remember, um, I think it was a friend that actually sent me a picture of um, Mark Cuban's Twitter, and he, he had posted something when he was reading a book on, on AI. Um, and to TJ's point, uh, I think I definitely agree that it's kind of like the next step because um, there's so much data and I and not teams teams from both the business and the player operation standpoint they're all they're all catching up I still don't think we've all we've all uh, teams have figured out exactly what to do with the data because it's just it's just so much um, you know from a player standpoint implementation it looks, yeah the implementation well, not, and that's, just that's like, a fact yeah. I mean, yeah, most companies like, are not even close to keeping up yeah. right you can't um, you there's can't way more they, there's way more than they can handle right. and also they don't have the personnel to keep up yeah and, the, um, and then a lot of teams are just kind of I mean there's still some that are behind and just coming in on, on, on the wave now on, on using analytics from both a business and, and, and player standpoint so right so let's talk for a few minutes about the media side of the business, because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and we'll talk about um, some of the deals that have just happened. But first, let's let's kind of level set here. Talk about your digital behaviors. Where are you spending your time in the digital realm? I assume mobile, kind of a mobile-first, social-heavy kind of thing. Um, in terms of your consumption of television, of streaming video, etc. 
But to do it in the context of sports, just to sure. give us a snapshot sure. of, of what we're facing here. So I will say about a year and a half, two years ago, I stopped subscribing to cable. Completely cut the cord. Um, I was like, I'm paying too much money. There has to be another option. I consume all my sports either via Sling TV, um, I stream on Sling, or... Um, That's the OTT package. Yes. Sling TV, not uh, Sling Box, to be no, clear. No, Sling yeah. TV, mm-hmm. or um, like basic channels, I have an HD antenna. Okay. That's how I watch everything. Um, so you get the basic channels from the antenna, yep, and then a pretty good mixture skinny bundle yes. from Sling. Skinny bundle. Okay. I'm a student. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, and then in terms of just social media, I'm a Twitter guy right now. Um, I get all my news, a lot of my news from Twitter. Um, I also get a couple of newsletters. Uh, specifically related to sports and business and just general world news. Um, I don't use Snapchat as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Instagram, and uh, I think those are my, my go-tos. What right about, uh, do you subscribe to any of the OTT products from teams or leagues, such, I, such as NBA.TV or, yeah. or MLB.TV so, so, or WWE or whatever? Yeah, so NBA TV uh, is a part of the Sling package. It is. Uh, okay. Yes, it is a part of the Sling package. That's recent though. That was like a couple of months ago. So I, I get a lot, but um, I'm not. I'm more so of a, a journalist. Like I like knowing what's going on with everybody. I don't really subscribe to one team outside of my Detroit teams. But um, that I mean, do you get what you need? I get what I need for sure. Okay, for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. And what do you think? Well, let me ask the other guys, and we'll mm-hmm. come back to a broader question. But Tunde, how about you? I'm similar to TJ, uh, so I, d- I cut the cord once I moved to uh, started business school. Um, before business school, I, I, I still had cable, but when you got your first two, yeah, going. exactly. <laughs> I had to I had to cut the cord. Uh, so I use I use Roku TV, mm-hmm. uh, and then also have an antenna for the local channels. I do but pretty limited sports on Roku, to be clear, right? Yeah, yes, if, if any. Yeah, I mean, so it's 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 limited, but um, I get what I need. But I do so. Unlike TJ, I do have NBA League Pass um, mm-hmm. between me and a few friends. <laughs> uh, so we, we, and we, you know, League Pass, you can do that from mobile, iPad, TV. Um, so I do that. Um, Twitter, um, Twitter uh, I used to be Snapchat, but more so Instagram now. That's um, interesting. Are you guys outgrowing Snapchat? Well, once, once Instagram kind of got the video. Um, yeah, well, basically copying yeah, Snapchat's functionality. Snapchat. I'm not as much yeah, on Snapchat. I'm not Snapchat. sure if, uh, if um, <laughs> Evan Spiegel yeah. would like this conversation. <laughs> yeah, just Snapchat just never resonated with me, like, super strongly. Yeah. Um, a couple of my friends worked there and put that out there. But um, <laughs> it just never it just never resonated with me super strongly. And, I, I, like, the news component of it, I think it's cool, but I don't think it's – I consume my news in other ways. Um, and I think it's for my generation and younger, but – um, I, I just don't use that I'll, kind of I'll say it's even for a, a generation kind of young below us Snapchat yeah I mean it's, yeah, I, I think generally yeah. whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know 15 to early to mid 20s yeah. is yeah, kind of yeah. strong suit. <clears throat> yeah. um, we, which we'll probably talk about later we talked about it at, when we had the social media panel at the sports conference and um, the difference between you know, a high school teenager using Snapchat and someone our age using Snapchat is, is yeah. just completely different. So, Joaquin, how about you? What are what are you into on the digital front? I'm way behind <laughs> these guys. So, I don't have TV at all uh, where I live right now. What I will say is I have great friends. <laughs> um, so That's I watch even a, better. I watch a lot of NCAA, March Monday with Tunde. 
Uh, I have a great friend that has all this soccer, so we go over his house, UFC, the same. Um, I used to have League Pass, NBA League Pass in Spain. That was great. Um, now I don't have that much time, but maybe for, for the playoff, I get it. And related to social media, I'm way, way behind. Okay. Uh, no, no, no Snapchat, no Instagram. I use Twitter to follow the news. What's but that? What's that? What's yeah, up? we have WhatsApp, but, yeah, that's, that, but that's totally different. But, that but more said, content is getting put into WhatsApp, we know, yeah. so that'll be interesting. Yeah. I've been in two, two interviews earlier this semester. First question was, how, how knowledge are you of social media? So I know I need to oh, get to Oh, see? Yeah. Everybody listening? Something I keep saying. Um, all right, so for all three of you, how much of your media time spent on a day-to-day basis is on your mobile phone, your computer and your TV. Okay, so Joaquin, it sounds like you don't have a TV. <laughs> but what, what, just break it down roughly. I'll go first. Just mobile, mobile minutes. phone, 80%. Mm-hmm. Uh, laptop, a computer, 15%. Mm-hmm. TV, yeah. 5%. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, uh, mobile is 75, 80 for sure. And, Everything else, TV and laptop, when needed. <laughs> right. For me, probably the hugest computer. Um, I don't look at the phone that much, but zero TV and 50-50 mobile. Okay, so, so one of the big things in the business, of course, is the move of certain sporting events to these third-party platforms, yeah. Facebook, Amazon, etc. cetera. Uh, and a big thing happened this week which was the announcement that NFL would be bringing its Thursday night game to Amazon, specifically Amazon Prime customers. So since you're all in various states of cord cuttedness, <laughs> if that's a word, um, do you like the ideas, the, the idea of key sport games and sporting events moving to these alternative platforms? And if so, why? And, and, and like, in other words, like, is it just because of convenience? It's free. It's in my feed. So it's e- whatever. I personally like it. Uh, I think the first thing is, yeah, convenience and flexibility. So I know last semester when we were going through the core, there were definitely a lot of times I watched the NFL game on Thursday night on Twitter on my phone in the library. Um, <laughs> Yeah, while you're supposed to be doing work. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think I think convenience is a, is a huge thing, but I think more so it's just um, the industry moving to the, the consumer, right? The consumer is dictating, di- di- is king now. Yeah. Um, and this is how people are consuming um, content. It's no longer through the um, TV. It's it's through different means, and I think that's that's more so the driver than anything. Yeah, it's, it's convenience. I think it's a convergence of two things, right? So it's where the consumer is going, and then, like, these tech companies are just so cash-rich, right? So the convergence of both of those is, you know, the example is the, the Amazon deal, right? They they pay $50 million for the NFL. So um, I, I definitely agree with Tunde. I do, for just for games that I actually want to watch and not just, like, be a passive, like, viewer, um, I do enjoy watching on a television, like a big a big viewing experience, but um, the convenience of watching on your phone or on Twitter, um, you, you can't beat that. So Right. No, I agree. I think um, Spotify has all the music to the Netflix, most of the series. It makes all the sense that somebody start buying the content and put it all together. 
Yeah. I, and mean, I like it. Right. I mean, I think we're going to see more of this because TJ raises a good point with something, point I've been emphasizing the last few months uh, in class and in, in just industry conversations, which is you look at the market capitalizations, the big digital players, mm -hmm. so GAFA as we like to call them, you know, Google, yeah. Amazon, yeah. Facebook, Apple, they throw Microsoft in there. They are so wealthy, it's, it's kind of um, stunning actually how wealthy they are. And then they look at the financial challenges and the marketplace challenges of the quote traditional media companies, so Disney, News Corporation, yep. Time yep. Warner, etc., yeah. much smaller market capitalizations, um, more significant structural, fundamental challenges right now in the business model with with the decline in paid television subscriptions and things like that, yep. and you know to the extent the leagues wish to make as much money as possible mm -hmm. in the media business for their product that it seems like it's an inevitability that just more of this over the next five, 10 years will be going in that direction. Yeah, and if you're, if you're Disney or ESPN, your primary business is media, and obviously that traditional media is, is struggling, um, it's tough. But if you're an Amazon and that's just uh, a, another facet of your business and you could do it at a loss, then you know, you're in a position uh, to, to you know, take business obviously from uh, from the traditional player, so um, it's 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 interesting for sure. Well, yeah, I think one one uh, point, and I can't remember TJ if the class you came to, we covered this point, but this is a key mm -hmm. one: that those the technology companies, the digital companies, own the customer relationship, which is the holy mm -hmm. grail right. of right. any kind of marketing, mm -hmm. and they can make the entire ecosystem that much stronger through that ownership, which includes more targeted, valuable advertising. Uh, commerce elements that you can add in around that, uh, more targeted and perhaps more effective sponsorship tie-ins, etc. And that is just not part of the cu current television industrial complex that drives the business today. So I think these kinds of early stage deals like Twitter 2016 with the NFL, um, uh, uh, Amazon, Amazon NFL 2017, some of the stuff we're seeing Verizon do now through its Yahoo, uh, soon to close Yahoo acquisition, Etc. will just be a taste of where this could go. Yeah, I mean, just to that point, they it's kind of like they're playing with house money, right? Um, there's so much money, and if if Amazon or can just be a one-stop shop for everything, it's it's worth the shot. No need to have any other app. Exactly. No right? Any other company <laughs> yeah. ever again. And I think that's their, well, that's what everybody's trying to do: just be a one-stop shop for for everything you need. Well, yeah. No, no, but, but, but you know, you think about this more, more uh, global point that I think has been made implicitly here is that so, so you have three young guys who are, and they're not that different than older guys, spending a majority of their media time on mobile phones. Probably the most, most of those t minutes are actually spent in apps of the preferred environments you like, whether it's Twitter or Uber or whatever, uh, and that the expectation is that those experiences will become more thorough, more uh, broad, and ultimately give you, quote, a version of everything you want, right? So it's, it's a really interesting uh, scenario right now vis-a-vis -vis how the rights holders actually deal with that reality. Right. Because in effect, by giving the content, or not giving, selling the content mm -hmm. to these platforms, you're essentially giving up your, a, a very key uh, um, piece of the customer uh, journey, which is the formal economic relationship, 
Right. So if someone decides to get Amazon Prime because they there's it's now available on Amazon, I mean because they like the NFL is now available on Amazon, that helps Amazon more theoretically a lot more right. than it helps the NFL. Right. Right. The NFL still has its money in the bank, right. but Amazon has a new customer to whom they can sell. Everything else. <laughs> Literally everything else <laughs> in the world. And, and then they're, so they're looking at like a, I mean, it's kind of a 3D chess game against a regular chess game. They're thinking about lifetime value of customers. Yeah. That's what stuff you're Absolutely. probably learning about. Yeah, yeah. CLV. Marketing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's a really, really big challenge for the business and this new breed of ownership that is, I think, a little bit more probably thoughtful about that because that's the world mm-hmm. some of them came from. Yeah are going to be addressing that over time. Yeah, and I was going to say that I think there are two worlds here. One is America, where you can put it on Twitter or Amazon. People will watch it. Another thing is like the NBA is, um, is playing uh, NBA games in India through Facebook because that's the, the biggest way to reach people, right? So in this case, Amazon bought it, but also like the NBA, these teams, if they want to expand internationally, social media is going to play like a huge role yeah. going on. So it's like a win-win situation that, I don't know. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to have to wrap in a few minutes. So let me just ask kind of rapid fire final question. Um, first of all, for everybody listening, we're going to have contact information for all three, uh, Tunde, TJ, and Joaquin, on the show notes. So you can uh, find them, find their Twitter handles and LinkedIn accounts and things like that there instead of going through it right now. But just quickly as we wrap, you guys have a lot of pressure on you academically through the business school uh, re- responsibilities, through the internships and jobs that you're either doing or seeking. So you need, to, and, and you know, we're in the information economy, so you got to keep up. What are the main ways you're staying smart right now beyond the textbooks or the classroom instructions? So I will go, the, the first golden rule, um, first job I got in Spain, he said, read the newspaper every day. And if there is something you don't understand, keep reading it until you completely understand it. So I do that every day. First thing I do is read the newspaper. There what newspaper? Some, well, I, I use in I use the um, the Economist worldwide, then one in Spain, and also the Financial Times. Okay. Um, and if there is something I don't understand, I finally go read it. And if there is some word there that I understand, keep going. So you learn something every day. Nice. That's actually good advice. We're we're in the age now where you can have stuff delivered to you right like right to your inbox so that's what i do every morning so i have i have the wall street journal delivered to me every morning new york times um sport techie and uh there's there's one one or two more publications but i i I have stuff sent to me because it's hard for me to kind of seek information um, with all the time pressures and things. And then you use Twitter about. for that curation as well? Yeah, I'll use well. Twitter to yeah. like get some other auxiliary stuff, but um, yeah, most of the stuff I have is kind of sent to me. Okay. Yeah. I, I use a sports business journal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so that's that's where I get a lot of my sports business um, type news. I also listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was podcast. someone would, so, I was hoping <laughs> someone would yeah. provide Those that two. answer. Yeah, so I, I was waiting this, for the last. I listen to this podcast, um, the Tao Sports, um, different, a whole bunch of podcasts. Yeah. You know, low yeah. post, yeah. Uh, um, things of that nature. And then I think a big thing is when I read articles either on the Sports Business Journal, Sports Tech, or listen to podcasts, and I. I hear people on there that are interested or read about people that are interested. Um, I try and reach out to some of them yeah. and, and have informational interviews. Um, 
Because people, what I found in this industry, people are really are willing to talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, everybody kind of remembers when they were in your in your shoes, and so that's a, I get a lot of information that way. That's um, great, and it helps you know in interviews or in, in just conversations, um, being able to reference conversations you had with um, specialists in the industry. Right, and as they say, you want to be interested and interesting. That's right. And if you are if you are both, and you reach out, usually good things happen. So good Definitely. for you for doing that. Guys, this was terrific. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. I thank just you wish for Joe were us. here, but the great thing about podcasts is Joe can listen to this <laughs> once it's posted, along us. with everybody else. But it was great. So, uh, Tunde, TJ, Joaquin, good luck the rest of the semester. Good luck with the uh, association, and then good luck with your summer positions. Thank you. Uh, and just don't forget the little guys on your way up. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank thanks, you. thanks, everybody, for, for uh, listening to this episode of The Cusp Show. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my co-host is Joe Fabrito. And our production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.